0: Turn, if you were, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, maybe the core of the book, the key to um, the ministry of Paul. They're saying, I'm a new covenant uh, minister. I'm a new covenant uh, apostle. And so, we too are new covenant people, new covenant ministers. What is new covenant? Jeremiah 31 said, there's coming a day When God is going to inscribe his law on the tablets of the heart, he's going to take away the heart of stone, and the Holy Spirit is going to come in and do a work that never was done under the law. And so here, Paul is being dogged by those who say, we ought to go into the old covenant. Uh, Are you telling these Gentiles to be circumcised? Are you telling them to have kosher dietary regulations? Are you telling them how to keep the Sabbath? And they say, I don't do any of that. And they're saying, you're a false apostle, and you got a false gospel. And he now, he's going to tell us, this is what I'm about, and this is the reason why. I'm a part of the new, and I want to tell you why I'm a part of the new and why the old no longer is around. And we're going to show you seven different contrasts, contrast comparisons between old and new to see what new covenant, which we are new covenant people, should be all about. Let's pick up at verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. By the way, God has never made one covenant with the Gentile world except the blessings of the new covenant. He never made us any. He said Israel got all the covenants. Palestinian, Davidic, uh, going back to Genesis, the Abrahamic. uh, But he said the Gentiles live without any promises from God, no covenants whatsoever. Only in Christ do we get to the table only in Christ. Do you ever study your ancestry? And just roll it back, where were your people 2,000 years ago? Where were you? And what were they bowing to? Man, 2,000 years ago in Ireland, my mother's people from Ireland. The Howards are from England. My grandmother was German. So, Northern Europe. And all my people 2,000 years ago were pagans. They were even cannibalistic in the English Isles, according to Winston Churchill. They worshipped everything. They worshipped rocks. They worshipped stones. And then let's go 2,000 years ago in Africa. What was your ancestors worshipping? What was your ancestors 2,000 years ago? And here he's coming, this man, going to the Gentile world, our world. And he says to these Judaizers that wanted him to go under the law and to bring the Gentiles under the law, he said, I've been made competent as a minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the very same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Seven comparisons and why Paul says, don't put me as an old covenant minister. I'm not. I've been made competent. I've been made fit to bring to you Gentiles the new covenant blessings of God. Number one, we are having a ministry of the Spirit and not of the letter. And it's debated by some if he means inner spirit, the human spirit that's regenerated, or if he means just the Holy Spirit. Well, either way, if it's our human spirit that he's changed us in the inner man, like he told Nicodemus, you need to be born again of water and of spirit. You're talking about human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Something internal needs to happen in you, Nicodemus, it's not external. It's not just letters that you can write on a stone, but something in the inner being, and who does this but the Holy Spirit. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3. And so he says, we minister about more than just letters written in stones. We're writing about something that God does in the heart, I already told you, Corinthians, God wrote on your hearts our message, and God wrote you in our heart. He's really saying the new covenant moves inside a human being. It's not just letters from the outside. It's not just stone tablets, but it's something God does in the human spirit by the Holy Spirit. So, he says, we minister about things of the Spirit, not just written documents or documents written in the stones. Uh, if you ever read jo- Jonathan Edwards, if you ever read John Owens, the 16th century chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, if you ever read uh, Luther, uh, you would see they were saying, you can know a ton of things externally. You can have religion uh, all the way to your fingernails. You can have all this external ceremonialism. You can have all the rules in the world. But until it gets in your heart, until a heart change comes about, it's all vanity and wasted. And that's where you hear Paul say, I pray for you Ephesians, That God would give you the spirit of revelation in the inner man so you could understand the things of God. You're already saved, but you're still ignorant about what you have in Christ. Now, just think of people who said, when we kill God's son, we want to be sure not to do it on the Sabbath because that would be breaking the rules. When you kill God, you've got to be biblical. They were bound to the letter. Bound to the letter. Paul said, I have a spirit that touches the human spirit and that is energized by the Holy Spirit. I'm not bound by the letters you say I have to have, nor the letter that Moses wrote. I'm governed by the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm a new covenant minister. He goes on to say that the old covenant brought uh, death, but the new covenant brings life. Look at verse 6, that the letter, what does it do? The letter, but the Spirit gives life. That old covenant, you know, it's an interesting thing if you thought about it. The first time the law was introduced to the children of Israel, do you know what happened? 3,000 people were killed. The first time Peter preached the new covenant, 3,000 were saved. Not too bad. I read the letter, 3,000 corpses. I preach the gospel in Acts 2. 3,000 get saved, get baptized, and make up the beginning of the church. The first miracle Moses did under the law was to turn the waters of the Nile into blood, representing death. The first miracle of the new covenant wonder-working Messiah was to turn water into wine. Life. The last miracle that happened getting out of Egypt was the eldest son in every home died that did not have the blood. The last thing Jesus did before he died, his last re- a public a miracle in John 11 was he raised a dead man called Lazarus. You see, the new covenant brings life. The old kills people. The law brings death. The law brings death. And and Paul said, you're trying to get me to go back under law? You want me to get these people under the law? I'm about a new covenant that brings life, brings life, brings the spirit. You know, I love, uh, we were talking today, uh, Chad and Charlotte, we were talking about grace when you, when you come home under grace, you don't get a stoning. You get the fattened calf killed. You get a brand new ring, and you get a robe because we throw parties when sinners come home. Amen. Under the law, we kill them. Under grace, we welcome them. Not too bad. Hey, you've been doing all this sinning. What do you deserve? Get the best calf. And our best calf was the best lamb. It's already been slain for sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He will carry you through. Under the law, Moses had to take off his shoes because he's nothing but a servant. But as soon as a prodigal comes home, they put shoes on him because he's a son. We're sons, we're not slaves. Why? I'm a minister of a new covenant. He says that the law brought condemnation. The new covenant brought righteousness. Look at verse 9. He said, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, the law, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Think of that coming into town, and when I give you my message, uh, how, tell me what kind of message you would, would you like to be? Would you like to be the mailman on an army barracks in World War II, and you go and you give it to a young bride or you go to a home to a mother? and the United States Army, would like to say your son died in honor on the soil of Germany or in Italy or in Japan, or, but here is a letter from the government. He fought uh, nobly, but he died. Would you like to be the one that delivers the sweepstake letter and said you just became a millionaire? You need to get figured out what kind of message God's entrusted to us. It's not a death message. It's a message that brings life. It's a message that brings how you can be righteous. All of you need to buy Martin Luther by Eric McTaxas. You need to read it. You need to read it. Uh, read one piece of serious literature in next year. The life story of Martin Luther, and uh, Carolyn's sick of me talking about it because I'm trying to get her converted. And uh, uh, here, when you see this man uh, that was uh, had become a lawyer, was on his way, and his father wanted to be a lawyer, and God's working on him and. Uh, He gets in a lightning storm, and he promises St. Anne, I'll become an Augustinian monk. He becomes a monk, and as a monk, no man was more devout in keeping vows, celibacy, fasting, praying. He had stomach disorders the rest of his life just from the abuse he gave to himself in the monastery. But he was shocked as a pastor that oversaw 11 different churches And he headed the theology school in Wittenberg. And as a pastor, he had to deal with these kind of questions. Tetzel just sold these poor, stupid Germans. The Germans were considered uh, boars, ignorant, the backwoods of the European. They were despised by the Italians. The Italians ran the papacy. And these guys are only good for taxation. And indulgences, and they send Tetzel up there to sell them. Now, this is amazing. Indulgences work this way. You know you're going to party a lot at Mardi Gras or on New Year's Eve, and we know you're going to be immoral and sin. If you'll pay the church a a good donation, we can be sure that sin will not be held against you. That's indulgence. So, you pay ahead of time for the sin you're going to commit. But because they needed money for St. Peter's Basilica, they came up with something brilliant, a great marketing scheme. They rolled it back and said, why don't we work it out where we can start doing something for the dead? And they went to these Slavic people, the German people, up there in Wittenberg. And they would do this to a poor German farmer. You give us a thousand bucks and we'll knock off a hundred years of purgatory for your mother. Now, you wouldn't dare withhold your money for your mother, would you? We'll knock off time if you'll make a donation. If you don't, you must be a cursed son that would not help your mother. They gave their money. They bled them. They bled them. They bled them. But now watch, here's the pastor. They come and see Pastor Martin. Martin, I just gave a thousand dollars to get a righteous forgiveness of my mother's sins in purgatory. But you know what? They never would specify how long this is good for. Could you tell me how long? How much time does a thousand dollars buy off? And Martin, he's facing this. Man and his wife, who just gave out a1,000 dollars of farmer money, hard-working plowing money, slopping hogs, cleaning out barnyard kind of money, the, the, the basic, the no big bucks, not lawyer fees, but work. And Luther says, "I can't tell you how much time this bought. There's no place in all the Bible that talks about getting time off for the dead. Who is doing this? So, October 31st, 1517, 1517, 500 years ago, he nailed on the Wittenberg church 95 theses and said, the pope nor councils cannot forgive anyone and take off time in purgatory. It's insane. You can only be right with God by faith and not by making a donation. Now, I mean, you, you, you kind of, we could laugh at that. Hey, he had to be kidnapped. He had to hide in a castle. And all of history was turned around in Germany in 1517, and a reformation started that says, our gospel says you can be right with God solely by trusting his son. I want to tell you every cult is opposed to that truth. And the old law was opposed to it as law, but people were saved by grace under law, but the law could not save. The law condemned you. The law made you wrong. The law says you You can't keep it, Romans 3.20, you're guilty by the law. The law was to bring you to Christ. And Paul said, I am presenting a gospel. I've got a message that will not damn, but it will tell the man the only way he can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. This is my message. This is my gospel. I'm an apostle of this message. Now, I'm going to ask you people, do you represent that message? The biggest issue facing an unsaved man or woman is, how could I ever be right with God? Is it penance? Is it donations? I was just with some cult members and uh, talking about one of their children being baptized so many times for the dead. And I wanted to ask, What does this have to do with Galatians 1 that if we or an angel from heaven come and bring to you any other gospel than what I've delivered to you, let them be anathema. I don't need to be baptized for the dead. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need indulgences. I need Christ. He makes you right with God. (laughs) But imagine the dark ages we lived in. And so many of you growing up in a system of works, and works, it was not Christ alone. It was not grace alone. It was not faith alone. It was Christ plus works. It's faith plus works. You got to work your... I will not work my soul to save for that my Lord hath done, but I will work like any slave out of love for God's dear Son. I will not work my soul to save for that my Lord has done, but I'll work like any slave out of love for God's dear Son. I'm not working to get in. I'm working because I'm I am in. I'm not working to get righteous. I'm working because I am righteous. I'm not working to be a son. I'm acting like a son. That's a world of difference. If you've got to earn being a son, you'll never know in this life. But all that believe in him become sons of God immediately. See, what's amazing thing that bothered everybody is how in the world can God make a sinner right? He said in Romans, he justified us while we were wicked. That's what the NIV says. Uh, the old translator said, while we were ungodly. Wait, wait, no, Lord. I got right when I got baptized. No, you didn't. The thief got right when he said, I'll see you in paradise. Amen. You're the son, aren't you? You must be Messiah. I'm a murderer, but I believe you're the one. He said, I'll see you in paradise. And then the, a song goes this way. When he got in paradise, they asked him, how in the world did someone like you get here? He said, well, the one that told me I'd be here said, tell him you came by way of the cross. How are you going to get in heaven? It's sure not going to get on your behavior because you're a big sinner, every one of you. You are a sinner. And I don't care if you've robbed a bank or not, and I don't care if you told a lie. We are sinners until we land. And if you don't know that about you, you're a deceived person. John said it in 1 John 1, 8. We say we have no sin. We are deceiving ourselves. Do you ever just get up in the morning look in the mirror and say, I'm a big sinner? You ought to do that a few times. But I'm right with God. Could you say that at the same time? I'm a big sinner. But I'm right with God. Well, that is the gospel. How can it take you where you are and make you right? Some of you were this, but the gospel made you right. Some of you were this, but the gospel made you this. This is our message. Paul said, I don't preach a message that condemns and brings death. It brings righteousness with God. Oh, I wish we believed it. I wish we weren't so frozen at the mouth about it. How else can a man know how to be right with God but in our gospel? The new covenant. I must get under control here. <laughs> v- verse 11, he said, I'm not a part of that which is transitory. I'm a part of that which is permanent. The law is passing. It, was, it had a, um, a life. According to Galatians, it was the guardian to bring you to Christ. But once you meet Christ, you don't need the guardian. That's the argument of Galatians 3, 26 to 4, 7. We're not under, the, we're now under uh, the Spirit's control that makes us cry, Abba, Father. The law served its purpose. Great. It's good. Perfect. But it had a terrible effect on us because it kept telling us, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And you are saying, I know it, I know it. How can I be right? And you couldn't know it through the law. You could only know why you were so wrong. <laughs> you needed The gospel you needed grace. Well, fifth thing is the law centered on Moses. The new covenant is focused on Christ. Uh, It's quite interesting when uh, Oded Cohen was uh, working with Jews for Jesus, and they were in Brooklyn. And uh, I was with them in that Brooklyn campaign. I was in Manhattan, but we were doing Jewish evangelism. And uh, what Oded did, uh, that they, being a uh, thoroughbred Jewish boy, they would wait in Brooklyn until later hours when many of the rabbis would go to their favorite bars at night to get away from congregation, I guess, whatever. And they would go there. and. Uh, That's when uh, Oded and some cohorts, they would evangelize and share the gospel with these men. And uh, as I talked with him, he said this. He said, they only want to discuss with you the first five books of Moses. It's Moses and Moses only. They they don't know Isaiah. They don't talk about the other prophets. It's all Moses, Torah, Torah, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all we want to talk about, 613 commands, 613 commands. He said, what about Isaiah 53? He said, one rabbi said, I've never seen that before. you never, you, you never seen Isaiah 53, and you're a rabbi? What about uh, Nicodemus? You're, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know that you ought to be born of water and of the Spirit. You don't know that you should know these things, Nicodemus, but you are a self-righteous Pharisee, Pharisee without God, but you know the law backwards and forward. It's amazing how much you can know about God and not know God. And so, the old covenant was all about Moses and uh and the meticulousness of how far you could walk on the Sabbath. If you ever read the, if you read Alfred Erdesheim, he'll give you these things that uh, you are violent If you spit on the Sabbath in the days of Jesus, they could violate you for irrigating. Yeah, uh, Alfred Erdesheim, The Life of Christ, two volumes. It's there. Uh, And, of course, you couldn't bake. You could all this meticulous kind of stuff. Moses, Moses, Moses. And here here the apostle said, I'm not about Moses. I'm about the Christ of Moses. I'm about Christ. Let me keep going. Sixth thing, he said, The old covenant was represented by the veil. The new covenant is represented by contemplating Christ. The mirror, uh, and we'll come to that. Notice what he says here. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we're bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. He, He would Talk to the people, then veil his face. When he went into the tent, he would take off the veil when he talked to God. But he, he's putting this veil off and on, off and on. And he says one of the meanings of it, Israel was never, they never caught on that this glory on his face faded. A- and they never, they never knew, hey, this is, as it were, in picture, showing The law is going to pass, too. It's just a temporary glory. And, but you had to veil the face. And one of the reasons the veil glory, unchanged sinners can't afford to be in the presence of God. An unchanged sinner cannot look on the glory of God. You can't have access. We've got to veil it. And the old covenant it was full of veils, the veils, the, the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies, veil, veil, concealment, veil, middle, middle man, veil. It was all concealment because you are not fit to see what God wants to show. You're not fit to see God on display. You're just not Israel you got such a hard heart, I'm not going to permit you to see an undiminished glory. I'm just going to let it fade when the face of Moses is covered. And so, he, he likens that. He uses it as his illustration. And he says, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only In Christ, only when you receive Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, and he's particularly talking about Israel. But notice, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, so he's got a veil on Moses' face. He moves it to, to a veil that's over their heart and a veil that's over their understanding. And he said, the only way you'll ever comprehend what God has for us is the veil of unbelief, hardness, dullness, and rejection is removed. Turn to Christ, and God will let you see his glory. Turn to Christ, and God will disclose the fullness of his glory as revealed in his Son. Christ came to us full of glory, full of grace and truth. God ripped all the veils when he sent Jesus. And Jesus on the cross, one of his last accomplishments was the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. And say, my people will never be held out again, and it won't be once a year when a priest comes with 12 stones. You know what? He interceded for the tribe of Reuben. He didn't, inter- he didn't intercede for the individual families. He just said, God, there's 12 tribes. There's Levi. There's Benjamin. There's Reuben. There's Gad. Help Gad. This represents the tribes, not individuals. You now got a high priest in heaven that represents you by name. He represents you by name. I said he represents you by name. He literally prays for you. He prays for his own. He's omniscient. My sheep I know. It'd be like you saying, I don't know the names of my children. It's funny with our mother. She got older. She'd get mixed up on us, so she'd name all seven. (laughs) You had to be one of them. That's all right. She knew our name. Just took her a while to get there. He knows your name. um, No veils. We have an unveiled... Relationship with Christ. He's in the inner sanctuary, according to Hebrews 8 through 10. He got there not on the blood of calves and bulls, but he got there on his own blood. And he said, I've opened a new and a living way into the presence. You come through me, you got access to the face of God. You know, when you're born, you're born with a natural veil over your eyes. The natural man does not receive the things of God because his eyes are veiled. And then if you were a Jew, you were born with this national veil, just a national ethnic bias towards Jesus being Messiah. He can be a prophet, but he can't be Messiah. And then in chapter 4, we were born with a satanic veil that keeps us blind to the gospel. So you ask yourself, Who in the world is ever going to be able to see God? God has to send his spirit, and he starts his scissors clipping away all the veils. Only God has enabled you to see his son. He wants you to see his son, but he's got to remove your sinful bias against him. Because when your heart turns to Christ, everything opens up. You know, sometimes in apologetics we say, well, if I could deal with every atheistic argument against Christianity, uh, if I just give them enough information, if I can apologetically deal, and, and if I can prove creationism, if I can prove the deity of Christ, prove the resurrection. It, well, you know what? If the spirit of God isn't cutting at the veil, no amount of your arguments is going to win. Because you can die and go to hell smart. The princes of this age never figured it out, so he revealed it to the ignorant and the foolish, First Corinthians 1 and 2. The princes of the age never got him figured out, and they crucified the Lord of glory. And if they had only known who he was, he said they would have never done it, but they, you could be so smart to tell Herod the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem and actually leave the mob that helps kill the baby. You can know Scripture inside and out, and you can be as wooden as an Indian about the Scriptures, but it's only ink and paper until the Spirit of God makes it alive. He's got to do something in your heart. And so much of Christianity today is wooden, legalistic, rules. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Nobody's going to heaven keeping rules. Did you hear me? You can quote me. You cannot get to heaven keeping rules. Rules do not save. The righteousness of God comes by faith in Christ and not by law keeping. The church's rules are Moses' rules. And we've messed up Christianity for so, especially the young. You know, I grew up at times as afraid God, if he caught me smiling, they'd make another rule about what I was doing. Absurd, absurd. God actually intended for his people to enjoy the journey. Some of you are praying about that, huh? (laughs) Howard Hendricks used to say that he thought God was going to say to most of us when we got to heaven, I didn't mean for it to be so grim. I wish you could have enjoyed it more. Jesus is enjoyable. Eternal life. I didn't get under a new yoke once I became a Christian. I got to keep, oh, hey, did you get delivered from the law? Yeah, but now I'm in a, a fundamental Bible church, and they got more rules than Moses. Well, enjoy the misery. We've been doing them for years. Join us and be miserable. Say, where's the joy of the Lord? I don't need rules when I've got the Spirit working in my heart. My dad used to tell us kids, he was provocative. He said, you know, our, we, we drove around with people, t- teetotalers. You know, we couldn't even smell a beer, let alone drink it. He said, I drank all the beer I want. I cuss all I want. I chase all I want. And boy, I can just hear my sister, daddy, how in the world can you talk that way in front of these children? I met someone that takes care of the want to. If you want to, Jesus said, if you want to sleep with her, I want to give you credit for adultery. So you got credit for the sin, and you didn't have the guts to do it. Thank God you didn't. Aren't you glad you have not done everything you thought about? (laughs) If you lust after her, uh, under the new regime of Christ, the law said, "Don't, don't sleep with her." That's right. Ooh, good. Yeah, that's right. Jesus, you're on to Moses. Let me tell you, I go beyond Moses. You can't even desire her in your heart. Whoa, whoa. Moses never dealt with that. I Christ, I'm to I can deal with a man's heart and take the want-to out. See, if you don't have that dealt with, you need 80 rules, and you'll be good at breaking all of them. But said, I didn't do it. Why didn't you? Well, I didn't know. I was too busy looking at Jesus. Well, that's not like a law. No, that's a relationship. Yes. Too busy looking at him. And he finally says that the law could not change the heart But the gospel does. Look what he says here. He said, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. Now, some translate that, have it the mirror. But the word really has the idea of contemplate, reflect. But we all, all believers, not just Moses, we with unveiled faces are contemplating the Lord's glory. And where is the Lord's glory? Chapter 4, he says, it's in the face of Jesus. The gospel reveals God's glory is wrapped up in his Son. And he said, we have unveiled faces, nothing hidden, and we're able to contemplate the Lord's glory. And while we're contemplating, we're looking into it, Like a mirror, it's translated that way. It's the idea of reflection. While I'm reflecting, while I'm contemplating on him and the magnificent revelation of God in Jesus, I don't even realize it, but he starts changing me. And, and, And before long, he's changing me. I'm beginning to look like him. And he begins to transform me, the word is metamorphosis in the Greek. I mean, coming from the caterpillar to the butterfly. And he's changing me, and all I'm doing, I'm not looking at the law written in stones. I'm looking at Messiah. I'm contemplating Jesus, and I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus, give me a rule. No, no, no. I love you. I want you. Uh, I saved you to... Enjoy me. Have fellowship. But, but Jesus, if I keep looking at you, I'm going to start thinking like you. I'm going to start talking like you. I'm going to start being like you. I, I just can't keep looking at you. I, it, it's having an effect on me. And I keep looking. I keep cont- I and, and all of a sudden, my peers, my wife, everybody around they say, something's happened to you. What, what are you doing? What's going on? I said, I met Jesus, and I've been focusing my life on him. And I've been doing what the course said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I've been captured by the glory of God. Matter of fact, Hebrews told me in the midst of the storms, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your race. You know what's wrong with some of you? You haven't been focusing on Jesus. You know what's wrong with the church. You know what's wrong with your mate. You know what's wrong with you. Have you found out what's right about Jesus? There's no fault in him, he'll change your marriage. He'll change your home. He's the only one that can save your children. You get these children, and you think that everyone, when you bring them from the hospital, you think for sure they're going to heaven. And by the time they're 21, you're sure they're going to go to hell. And the only one that can make the difference is Christ. Is Christ on display? Are they seeing a changed father? Have they you know, Doug Oldham used to sing the song, I came home after I was saved, and my babies, that used to flee the house and run and hide. He said, my boy doesn't hide behind the door anymore. And then Doug Oldham's song, said, because he got a brand new daddy. Does Jesus make any brand new daddies? You better believe it. This righteousness gets into a man's heart. Guess what? Jesus looks better than the prettiest playmate in the month. He looks better than a shot of Coke. He's he's better than anything sin's got on the menu, and pretty soon you say, I can't get enough of him, and I don't have to recover from him. He keeps me high. He keeps me full. He keeps me satisfied. (laughs) He gives me hope. And I want to tell you, I mean, we're watching our brother. I don't think he's going to come home. He's going to die. He's nearly gone. But David and I, Larry's there and Peggy. You know what? This gospel, I'm standing there. I'm thinking, oh, death, where's your victory? He's going to land in heaven so quick you won't even believe it. He's going to land. No, no, no. And tell, tell me, uh, Eric, can you figure out my brother's funeral? I don't need you, Eric. I need God. I need Jesus, who said, I won't abandon you in the shadows, and watch this. I've just been praying, Lord, let him go to sleep in Jesus. Tuck him in. Where else do you, you get this but in this gospel that doesn't condemn, that comes up? in? doesn't have to get last rites., have you committed any sins? What if I said, yeah, I committed 100 last week. And I know some of you are going to slam me. I may have to deal with my wife after this. Because, are going to say, well, is it covered? Absolutely. Can't believe that. You don't like that. Too bad. I'm a sinner. I even get to preach in this place. And I don't have to act like anything but what I am. I'm a sinner being saved by grace. Why don't you quit acting like you're not a sinner and start admitting it and just be thankful to God you don't do more sin. Can I get a witness? Yeah. God, anybody can get good people to heaven, but God's getting sinners there. That's what qualified you and I. God can get you and I there. And on my best day, talking with my wife last night, man, on my best day, I could be in irritable pain. But I get irritable in Jesus' name, you know. Keep it sacred. Oh, isn't Jesus sweet? What do you mean, sweet? You're so irritable, not even funny. I don't cuss, but I sure want to at times. Am I talking to anybody out here? Anybody have these struggles? That was the mystery. That was the mystery that broke in on Luther. The question was this. How could a man ever be right with God and be ungodly? When did God justify Abraham? Once he moved to or while he was still a moon worshiper? You don't know. Genesis 12. He's worshiping the moon when God saved him. What? I I was at a Coke party, partying with a bunch of pagans when God decided, come home, you're mine. Get out of that hog pen. Come, I want to make you a son. You mean, I wasn't doing anything good? No, you were doing what you were best at sin. You're real good at that. You don't even need any lessons. Just keep feeding them, and they'll do it. Are you raising any sinners? If they're related to you, they're sinners. <laughs> and they need a Savior. They don't need a rule. And I'm not saying you don't need parental guidance. Don't, get, don't give me any lectures about it. i raise kids. I got mine raised. You go ahead and raise yours. But they need the work of the Spirit. They need... Not condemnation, but righteousness. They don't need death. They need life. They don't need Moses. They need Christ. They don't need a passing ga- glance of Jesus. They need to concentrate. And if you focus on Jesus, oh, and how many believers I meet, I'm saying, do you know what he looks like? Have you feasted on him? Be thou my vision. Be thou my You know, as a church leader, I've been bombarded with all the management, what's your vision? I think i want to do with Paul, Jesus. I'm trying to keep my eyes on him because he's wonderful. And this is what Paul is saying. I will bleed for it. He says two things. In chapter 2, he said, I keep preaching because I'm convinced I'm in the triumph of Christ. And in chapter 3, he said, I keep preaching the gospel because it's glorious. I never want to go back. Is there anything you want to go back to? Is there anything in the old life that's better than Jesus? If you said that, I'd just simply say, you've never really tasted, have you? Taste and see. The Lord is good. You won't be disappointed. Our Father, Jesus is the best. There's no superlative that can outrank him. He is the best. I pray today for all of us. Keep us from being legalist. Keep us from being ensnared by rules and even church trivia at times where we lose Jesus. That you told Ephesus, you know who to hate, but you've quit loving me. I used to be first, but somehow I'm not at the top of the agenda. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. Christ and him crucified, risen, and coming again. Jesus, a friend of sinners, that you can't be bad enough that he wouldn't forgive you. Can't be bad enough or far enough away that his love and his mercy cannot reach you. If you're here without Jesus today, I ask you, turn to him. Then God will rent the veils. God will make you see the glorious person of his Son, and you will be in awe of the wonder, the wonder that's found in Jesus. He is God's treasure. Oh, that you come to him. By simple faith, you can receive Christ and say, Lord Jesus, On my own, I can never be good enough for heaven. But I don't have to try to be good enough. I want to trust you. You were good enough. You could have covered 10,000 worlds. I trust you. You are my righteousness, not the works of my hand. I trust you. I trust you.